Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Well, good morning, Way Church. Um, I'm Patrick Jackson with the Way, and I'm serving in uh, the worship team and on setup. And just want to read from Acts 13, verses 1 through 3 with y'all. Now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. Father, we thank you for your church, Lord. We thank you for your word and how it continues to show us and lead us uh, to that path of salvation found in Christ, Lord. We thank you for uh, this church, my Lord, this morning. We praise you for just the opportunity to worship you together, Lord. I pray that you would just continue to bless our fellowship and our time together this morning. Just reveal yourself uh, from your word in a new way to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, church, you may be seated. move some things around up here. How's everybody doing? All right, all right, all right. As you can see, Mr. Josh Weatherspoon is not with us this morning. Our BMX worship team is not here, and we've feeling it. Now, I knew that, I, I say that half jokingly and half not. There was a church that I came across, and me and Kim were just trying to remember what it was. They had a very creative worship team, and it involves sports of some kind, but they would use that as a way of uh, bringing the community in and sharing the gospel. So maybe we should start a BMX uh, evangelism group here at the Way Church. Um, my name is Andy Balthazar. I think most of you know me, but I'm on the teaching team here at the Way Church. Um, and we just got back from Puerto Rico. Yes, and we have these cool shirts uh, that are in Spanish. Um, and let me just tell you something. I just got an update. Um, you know, we're going to share a little bit more about the uh, the mission trip this after or later than the service. I'm going to try to keep my speaking to a, a minimum, which is very hard if you know me at all. But we just got word from um, the Way Church down or the Path of Grace, the Way of Grace down there, that they do have power. Woo! Right? They do have water, and they are worshiping God and in spirit and in truth as we speak. So. The background of that, yes, that's good news. That is great news. That's a huge answer to prayer. God is good because I tell you, you know, we, we weren't sure about this trip actually happening this year. Just a lot of things going on uh, here and there, uh, but God is sovereign, and he is always in control, and this is a, a good reason, you know, a good explanation for this. So really, really briefly, so we moved them from their old building into their new building this week. If we had not been down there, not sure that would have happened. So we were able to worship them, uh, worship with them last week, rather, uh, in that old facility, have that last service, and then begin the process of moving them into that new building. And so the new building is, uh, well, let me take a step back. The old building was on the side of a hill, very hard to park, very hard to get into. Um, it was surrounded by a community, which was great, uh, but it, it wasn't you know, in the best location. So the new building's a little bit smaller, but right down in the middle of the strip of town. So. Uh, we were there this week to hand out a lot of invitations, um, such as this, that invited them to their new facility. So we probably delivered 1,200, 1,500 of these, um, and there's still like 3,000 left in the box. So 
you know, we're going to go back and do some more. But we just went into surrounding areas, just, you know, asking for people to consider praying or, you know, and praying to come. You know, we had some evangelism conversations as well. But this is their invitation for an encounter with God. That's what that Spanish is. And so right now, we weren't sure that they were to have power. We, didn't sh- we weren't sure if they were to have uh, running water in that new facility. But as of this morning, they have both. So again, God is in control. Amen. Yeah, so like I said, we'll, we'll uh, you know, share some more after, um, you know, after we close this, this, this service and everything. But uh, we did have a great time. You know, we had some issues with our flights. We had an earthquake, if you can believe that. Um, there's a, a whole host of others, but I'm not going to, uh, you know, take everybody's thunder. So we'll, we'll, um, we'll give you an update after that. But just continue to pray for the Camino de Gracia, um, you know, that church down there as they worship this morning, because we're praying that that building would not contain the gospel. I mean, it's, like I said, it's a little smaller. We pray that it would spill into the parking lot with all those people uh, as God calls them. So back to our church. Uh, so Josh has been going, we've been going through the, our, our sermon series of move, moment to movement. And so we've gone through the book of Acts of all the different, you know, not all the books, but, you know, different things, uh, accounts in there. Some of that was the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. Uh, some of that was Stephen being martyred. Some of that was the dispersion and the persecution of the early church by Saul, right? And so we're going to talk through this. Um, and I know Josh last week talked about the church of Antioch, which the church of Antioch is a model church of what every other church really should be doing. Uh, and we'll get into more of that as well. But he, he last week he talked from uh, you know Acts 11, 19 through 21. So uh, I loved his, his usage of uh, the Patriots' offensive line as some men, right? He says, you know, in, in, in verse 19 of Acts 11, it says, the church was started by some men. You know, it doesn't name the men, but we know that those men were faithful to God. We know that they were obedient, and we know that they were humble. And those are three things that we all should strive as as Christians. But we knew that the church at Antioch had been formed or started by this, some men who had been scattered because of that persecution of, of Stephen and that martyr that, that he gave his life. And he was really the first martyr of Christendom. Um, and we know that these men had traveled from a far away. So they were willing to sacrifice for their faith and for Christ, right? And so that's, again, something else that we need to be thinking about. And they had gone away from, as far as Phoenicia, from Cyprus, uh, all the way to Antioch, to talk and speak the word to the Jews. And I want us to make sure that, you know, Josh went through this last week again, but there were certain things that they were doing. And then others from Cyprus and Cyrene came to Antioch and been proclaiming the good news to the Gentiles. So we hear, see that, you know, some were doing it to the Jews, some were proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, and again, you know, this should be the model church that we see. And, you, and that, the, that breakout should seem pretty familiar to you, right? From between Peter and, and Paul. You know, Paul's missionary journeys would later become, you know, focused on the Gentiles. And, and Peter's would be focused on the Jews. So we see, again, this, this church being a model in a number of di- different ways, you know, for, for, the, for the missionary trips and for the churches afterwards. We also hear and see that in verse 21, I believe, that the Lord's hand was on them. And they multiplied greatly, and, and hundreds uh, in large numbers turned to the Lord, and they began worshiping and, and praying together. Um, and then you see again by verse 26, you know, they got into a point where you know, they had outgrown their, their, their teaching and staffing teams. And so they had to, you know, Barnabas had to go out and find Saul, who was out in Tarsus, uh, which is not an easy task to do. 
But he had to go and get more leaders and teachers so they would be able to continue to evangelize, disciple the groups, and making sure they were handling the church as they should, right? And so he needed Saul's help with that. And so they went out, and then they taught, you know, Saul came back with them. They taught people at Antioch for over a year, it says, uh, taught large numbers, and they were first called Christians. And, you know, Christians here was actually a derogatory term because that was what they were ridiculed and what they were made fun of. And now we use that as our way of identifying ourselves with Christ, or Christians or our followers of Christ, right? And we'll get more into that later. But again, this church at Antioch was one of the best models or examples of the early church uh, and how we model ourselves here at The Way and, and how others do it as well. And that's a strong sense of evangelism, right? Going to the nations, we, you know, we go, we send, we give, uh, and discipleship. We have a lot of D groups. We just, you know, uh, hired a discipleship pastor because we feel that's, that's what the Bible calls us to do is to, to grow, to learn and teach and, and disciple our members, but also teaching and prophecy. You see here this in Antioch as well. You know, there's many teachers, many prophets, which we'll get into, um, but they were also giving to the needs of others, so, you know, one of the things that is talked about later in, in Acts 11, there was a prophet who came, uh, his name was Agabus, and he proclaimed by the Holy Spirit that there would be a famine. And so one of the, the first things that Barnabas and Saul were able to do before they were sent out in verse, you know, the verses that Patrick just read was that they took up an offering and gave it to the brothers in need. Um, back in Jerusalem. So again, they were meeting physical needs, they were meeting spiritual needs in the community, and they were evangelizing and discipling their, their members. And so that should be a core belief of, of every church, and, and one of the ones that we have here at The Way as well, um, and our, our sister churches too. So continuing to build up the body of Christ, continuing to disciple them, continuing to grow uh, and, and teach uh, one another. And that's that fellowship that, that we also experience here as well. And so if you're taking notes, which I hope you are, uh, this sermon is titled Commission for Christ. And so we're going to go through Acts you know, 13, 1 through 3, and go through these different uh, verses and, and how it relates you know, to our church and to other churches and, and us as individuals as well. Because I, w- I want us to make sure we understand you know, the body believers that we have here is very dynamic. I'm, you know, I've always thought that God has really blessed us with people who are willing and able to do a lot of things. You know, not only mission trips, but to give, to do local things. And so you know, people are called in different ways, and that's what we need to do and just prayfully consider what God can can do with us if we just uh, are obedient and humble uh, to him. So Acts 13, verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And so we see, you know, even in this first verse, prophets, teachers, you hear a lot of different terms. And I know Josh has been, you know, we've been going through the book of Acts, which has deacons and elders and overseers and bishops, you know, which we'll get to later. But here we see prophets and teachers. I know, you know, some, we have our preconceived notions of what that means. Uh, and sometimes, you know, it's, it's, you know, more modern day definitions versus biblical or, or historical views of it. Prophets heard from God directly, you know, the Holy Spirit. And you see that in a lot of different parts of the New Testament. Um, and you see that with Agabus, who, you know, like I said in chapter 11, it said the Holy Spirit gave him that utterance. They gave him that word. And so he was a prophet. And so they hear the word of God. They, they proclaim it. Uh, the teachers were ones who were able to exegete it, explain it, and apply it for the, for the 
people of the church. And so they would help with the application in your life. And so you think about it now, it's, you know, it's kind of a preacher, it's more the teacher role. We do a little bit of both with that. Uh, and even some of these who are li- listed, like Saul, he was known for, as being both too. And, uh, and so that's one of the great things about being gifted in some of these areas is you have to have both, and especially in this early church, because they were hearing directly from the Word of God, in which we'll see in a few verses, to go and make disciples. They heard that straight from Jesus, and now they're hearing it again, hearing from the Holy Spirit. But, you know, the first name that we see here is, is Barnabas, and I know Josh went through a lot of this last week, too. Um, and Barnabas was originally called Joseph, you know, in Acts 4. He was so well known for being an encouraging person that they named him Barnabas because he was known as the son of encouragement. It's like, man, what, what am I, I going to be known for after I leave this place? I mean, I, I want to be known besides, hey, that's the ball guy who looks crazy and you know, does crazy stuff. Like, I want to be known for, for something like this. Um, you don't have to answer me now. But um, you know, Barnabas was so well known that they called him the son of encouragement, Barnabas. I mean, imagine doing that and having that, that view of yourself or, or others viewing you of it. And so he was a Levite from Cyprus. So he was, again, one from, from you know, from an island in the middle of the Mediterranean, he had gone and sold his land and laid it at the feet of the disciples and the apostles back in Acts 4. So he was encouraging others. He was willing to sacrifice. He gave up his land and sold it. I mean, this is, you know, one of the people that, you know, we should model our behavior after as well um, because, you know, he was modeling after Christ. Uh, then you also have a couple of others, and, and so you think about this too, and I'll get to this in a moment. You, you, there's a lot of diversity in this group that's listed here. You have Simeon, you have Lucius. Uh, not much is not known about these two, but we know that what they came from faraway places. Cyrene is the northern tip of Africa, you know, so Libya around in that area. That was where he came from. Uh, Simeon was, was also from African descent, and so he came up from most likely Ethiopia or something like that. And so you have them, again, leaving their comfort zone, leaving their families to come to Antioch to spread the gospel. Uh, and, and, you know, again, from the persecution and the, and the dispersion here as well. And then the last one you have here, well, actually, next to the last one is Menaean. So you have a couple of outsiders, you know, people from different areas, you know, the Barnabas, who everybody, you know, really likes and loves. They have Menaean, who's like the, the friend of the rich kid, right? And so you have, he's, he's, you know, was raised with Herod the Tetrarch, which is really Herod Antipas, who was not so well a king, right? We know that he was the one who was responsible for beheading John the Baptist and for others. And eventually, historic, uh, you know, history tells us that he did Saul as well, but you know, Menaean would not cut from the same cloth. Even though he was raised with Herod, he took a much different path because of his faith in Christ. Uh, and so Menaean was actually one of these who was a prophet and a teacher as well, or listed, you know, with this. And so the last one on here was, was Saul. And so you're like, oh man, we know, we know about this guy. He was the guy who would eventually become one of the greatest evangelists and missionaries, you know, that we've ever heard of. But before that, you know, he had been you know, somewhat exiled because, you know, he came to know Christ on the road to Damascus. He became a born-again believer after terrorizing everybody. And now he is, you know, listed here as one of the, the members, you know, of the, of the church at Antioch. And so you know, this is one of the things like, Saul, wait, what? This guy, he, he was terrorizing the church and now he's building churches? Yeah, so if you go back to Acts 8.1, because I just want to remind you, because, you know, I, I came to this conclusion the other night. Acts 8 talks about Saul and his agreement with Stephen's death, right? So Stephen's death started part of this dispersion. 
And, and Acts 8.1 says, Saul agreed with him, putting Stephen to death. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Verse 3, Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. And so you think about it, you know, this verse clearly tells you that Saul was part of the dispersion and actually started the dispersion, which put all the people in different areas, and eventually that dispersion is what created the church at Antioch, which he now is an overseer and elder in and a teacher in. Isn't that crazy how God works and how sovereign he is? And, and you think about different things. And Acts is full of these things because it's like a redrone adventure book, and I was joking about that the other night on the plane, but there's, there's so many different storylines going on in Acts, um, and this is one of them where Saul and Barnabas did all these things, and then Saul you know, did this, but led to this. And we see here a true 180 of not only of him giving his life to Christ, but also because of his past bad actions, it led to the advancement and the creation of a church in Antioch. Amen? I mean, that's, that's crazy to think about, but that's, that's what took place, and that's how God can use us. Um, and of course, you know, we have to be obedient and humble. But you think about this different group here. I mean, you have, like I said, the, the, well pop, the well-liked popular guy, Barnabas, who you was know, known as the son of encouragement. You have the other two who are from, you know, different places. They're all from different places, and they all you know, look differently, and they're from, they speak different languages. It's just a ragtag bunch of, of people. You're like, how can God use these people, and, and what purpose do they serve? And I was like, you know, growing up, you know, we used to watch a lot of Christmas specials. Everybody familiar with, like, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and the old one and, like, the Island of Misfit Toys? You remember that? So I, this, this I, you know, I categorize this group as the island of misfit you know, Christians because they're all different. They, people would look at them and say, they have nothing in common. Why in the world do they even do anything together? They shouldn't get along. They shouldn't be hanging out together. But what we know is the, the similarity and the commonality in all those is their love and their faith in Christ. And I want us to understand that because different backgrounds, different motivations, different places, but following the same Christ, following their Savior, no matter what cost. And I, and I think that's important for us to understand, and it should serve as an encouragement for us, right? And so if you think about, you know, going back to Barnabas, because I love Mr. Son of Encouragement, you know, this really should empower us, encourage us, and dare I say challenge us for a couple of different things. One, for the lost, right? Because... This passage lists out people from different walks of life, from different places, from different backgrounds. Both Jew and Gentile were drawn by God and gave their life to Christ by that free gift of grace as these were. As the church of Antioch continued to grow, people from all different walks of life came there. And so if, if you've never given your life to Christ or you say that I'm too far gone, my sinful past is still too much for Christ to overcome, then you're sorely mistaken. I can vouch for that. Everybody in here who has given their life to Christ can vouch for that. These men in heaven will vouch for that. Um, and there is never anyone too far gone for the, uh, for the grace of God. Amen? Even Saul, like I just talked about, you know, one of the, the most extreme circumstances or cases where he went from this to this, you know, being on fire for God. So it just proves, again, there's no one too far gone for the grace of God. All who call upon the name of Jesus will be saved as Lord and Savior. Uh, Romans 10, 
11 and 13, and we did a lot of, you know, conversations in Puerto Rican this week, and I'd used Romans 10, 9, and 10, um, which is, you know, just a few verses before this. But verse 11 says, for the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. And verse 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, you know, Think about how diverse that group was back then, how diverse we are here in Richmond in the Short Pump area, how diverse and politically divided we are right now as a country, as a world. You know, we should be thinking, you know, as Jesus would for evangelism and for the lost. And that really, these, this group of men should encourage us to do that. And the reason I bring that up too is like, there's a lot going on in the Middle East. I mean, we've all seen the news. We've all been a part of it. But let me tell you what. Palestinians will be in heaven because they've given their life to Christ. Islamic people who have come to know Christ and professed him as Lord and Savior will be in heaven. There will be Iranians, there will be Iraqis, there will be Chinese, there will be Japanese, there will be people of all nations, tribes, and people groups worshiping God in heaven with us. As they call on the name of the Lord, they will be saved, just like that word just tells us. And so you think about it, you know, there's a lot of reactions that we get, especially as Americans, you know, with our patriotic views, and there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, we have to remember we are identified as Christians and followers of Christ before we are Americans. And I know that might not sit well with people, but that's the truth. We are followers of Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, hand in hand. And there's nothing that separates us from that. And so we need to make sure that we love everybody, regardless of how they treat us, how they view, you know, how our things are happening in the world and in the Middle East, and give them that peace. And so that really should burden our hearts for that as well. But it should also encourage us for fellowship, number two. The, the different backgrounds, languages, you know, all the different countries and the diversity here is, is reflective of what I believe and what the Bible says is a glimpse of heaven. And we, we talked about this in, in Puerto Rico as well. Uh, Revelation 9, 7, 9, and 10. After I looked this, and there was a vast multitude from every tribe, nation, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the lamb. And again, all nations, all peoples, all tribes, anyone who has given their life and called upon the name of the Lord will be there. And that's one of the things that we experienced, I've been able to experience in a few times just in the mission groups and different mission trips and things like that. And, you know, Thursday night we had uh, a worship service over at Carmen's house. And Carmen's a sweet lady. She always uh, invites us to stay with her, and she cooks us meals, and uh, we had everybody from, you know, on our trip, in our group there, we had all the, the members of the churches and uh, from the Camino de Gracia there as well. We just had a time of, of worship. You know, Luke and Leah sang. She was singing in Spanish. Luke was singing in English. They were singing in Spanish. We were singing in English. So it was a great time of just fellowship and worshiping God together all in different languages, but it was a, a glimpse of what we see here. Even though it was just two, really just, you know, two languages, you know, because we're all Americans, but it's, it's a, just a portal into what heaven will be like. And I look forward to, this is one of my favorite, and I know I say that a lot, but Revelation 7, these two verses, especially as, as, as God has led me into mission field and, and for Mark and, and, you know, for Barbara and for others there as well, like that is, that is what we want to see so much. That's what our heart is burdened for, just to see people from every group represented 
in heaven. And so again, that, that, that fellowship that we have, that we experience Thursday night is something that, you know, other Christian groups and other missionary groups, um, you know, get to experience as well that we'll experience in heaven. And then lastly, you know, we should be encouraged for the gospel. So again, ragtag group of, group, group of men, no one but Jesus could, could bring this group together for the sake of the gospel. You know, again, the, the love of Christ breaks down all barriers and unites all people. And Galatians says it this way, Galatians 3, 27 and 28. For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no slave, free, male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So again, once we give our life to Christ, we encourage others and we evangelize and we disciple others to make that decision as well we are all one body of Christ. All that stuff about Americans, all that stuff about Iranians, Iraqis, uh, again, we are all one body of Christ. So that should encourage us, again, for the gospel as well. And so, you know, think about all the different things with diversity and, and missions group and even in short pump. I mean, the, you know, some, you can hear both sides of the, the equation when it comes to, you know, having a mix of different peoples from different backgrounds. Well, they do so-and-so or, you know, different, sometimes a negative connotation, but we should definitely see it as a positive uh, connotation here in the, in, the, in the area of short pump. I mean, you can go around and see many different nation, national groups, many different ethnic groups here represented in short pump and the peoples have come to us, how great is that and how great of an opportunity is it for us to evangelize here and go and send others as well? So again, this is just a challenge and encouragement for us as Christians to, to pray and, and think about and consider and meditate on God's word of, of how he would use you, how he would use your family, how he would use your marriage, how he would use your kids to glorify him, but also to go and evangelize uh, in the name of Christ and for the name of Christ. And so we see here in verse 2, we see the call of Christ. Um, as they were worshiping the Lord, this is Acts 13, 2, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul and for the work to which I have called them. So again, we already read back in Acts 11, and Josh covered this last week, that after Barnabas came to Antioch, he had saw that they outgrew the, the teaching uh, team there, so they had to go get Saul, brought him back from Tarsus to the met over a year teaching large numbers of people in discipleship. And so they continued to worship the Lord, teaching others, and then ministering to the, to the Lord as well, which, you know, ministering to the Lord, you know, if you're a Southern Baptist like I am, then that means you have a lot of covered dish lunches and prayer groups and prayer Bible studies and stuff like that. But, you know, in reality, that's what they were doing. They were continuing the work of the, of the church. They were meeting and teaching, praying together, and you get a little bit of a glimpse here as well with the fasting. But you also see fasting used here at other places of the New Testament. And this, you know, this is painful for me because I personally feel that we don't do and teach enough of fasting. Uh, and I grew up in the church. I mean, many of you know that my father was a pastor. Um, and I don't remember a lot of times him actually talking about it, although I know that he did. But fasting is one of those things that was done throughout the Old Testament. It was done throughout the New Testament. Uh, and it was really to purify and focus your thoughts by abstaining from food. Um, you know, and of course, you know, Jesus and his, and his disciples did, and he would focus on prayer and devoted themselves to prayer during that, that time of taking away or that absence from food. I'm sure everybody in here, if I, hopefully everybody in here could, if I asked you what was Jesus's most famous or what he's most well known for from a fasting perspective, it would be what? 
40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness before he was tempted by Satan. Uh, but yeah, 40 days and 40 nights, and that's an extreme fast, but imagine the focus that he had praying to God the Father, seeking his will. And so this is the, what we see here in the second verse. They were worshiping the Lord, teaching others, uh, and they were fasting. And so they were fasting because they were seeking God's will. And that's something that I encourage you to do as well, because like I said, you know, I think a lot of churches kind of skim over fasting, kind of like they skim over the Holy Spirit, if I'm honest. Uh, that's another something else that doesn't really get talked about that much. Um, but fasting really is one of those things, I mean, you think about all the distractions we have in our life, all of our phones, all the different points of input of our eyes and just, you know, hearing and, and all of our senses, we're overwhelmed with thousands, if not millions of, of different things. Uh, from a distraction and, and you know, just being uh, you know, taken off your focus. But fasting allows you to remove something, which is normally food or could be any distracting you know, distraction. T- typically or traditionally, it's, it's food. And you use that time to solely focus on God. You're, you're setting apart that time, nothing for but God. Uh, and, and so I practice this. Um, most well, I've done it since then, but the first time I really did it was when we first went to China on the mission trip uh, back in 2019. Um, and you know, Josh and I were talking about it. We were going through a, a group uh, study at Salem, our sending church, uh, in the men's group. And you're like, well, let's let's try, it. let's fast. And so I, we we did it before the 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 mission trip in China, and I literally took off all the. And I'm a growing boy. I, I love my food and everything, but I stopped it. You know, that week prior, uh, at least in the morning, so it was a half fast technically. But I used that time to focus in seeking God's will specifically for that mission trip, specifically for that people group that we were investing in, that we were going to visit and see, specifically for our travel, for God to open doors, for him to close doors if necessary, as he wills. And I, and I just remember being so blessed during that time. Uh, and then it, it changed as we were in the mission field you know, that prayer became a a point of, God, your will be done here. Continue to draw. Give me your words. Continue to use me. And so that time of fasting really allowed me to focus because I wasn't working. I wasn't doing anything except focusing on God. And if you think about it, you know, a mission trip is can be like that where, you know, you're doing nothing but focusing, evangelism, discipling others, you know, doing physical work. You know, mission trips can be like that too. Uh, And that's something I enjoy as well. But, the, you know, that time of worshiping, in fact, fasting and concentrating on Christ that we see here in verse 2, that's the Holy Spirit was calling them uh, for Barnabas and, and Saul to be set apart for the work that he called them. And so we all know what the work was, right? That was, came from Jesus back in Matthew 28, uh, verses 19, which is known as the Great Commission, right? Which is to go and make disciples of people of all nations, teaching them and showing them um, and so that was what the Holy Spirit was calling them to set them apart for, for that work, which they'd already been commissioned for, but again, uh, they were being set apart here, specifically Barnabas and Saul, for that purpose to go out and evangelize the nations. Uh, and so you see set apart here being used as well, too. And, you, and I think most people will hear set apart and they think sanctification or sanctified. Like, that is the ultimate sanctification, right? I mean, that's being set apart because you have given your life to Christ. You are now a follower of Christ, and you are sanctified, you're justified, you're declared righteous, those sins were taken away. I know I'm using a lot of big words, but that's what, <laughs> that, that's, that's what that means. So, you know, that sanctification process starts, and you're set apart 
uh, because of your faith. Here, set apart was solely for the purpose of that missionary journey, solely for the purpose of evangelism and spreading the gospel, meaning that Saul and Barnabas would no longer be a part of that church at Antioch, right? And so that's kind of painful to think about too, is if you're going to step out in faith for God and he's going to call you in certain ways, sometimes it's going to be like this. Sometimes you're going to leave the, the church that you've been a member of for numbers of years and take your family to a different church to start a plant or take them around the world to lead a missionary journey or to start a church plant internationally uh, like we have in Africa right now. I mean, that's setting apart your life for that. And so, yeah, that church had to do, they had to respond, right? They had two of their best leaders, Saul and Barnabas, the son of encouragement himself, and Saul, who is starting to become really well known for his gifts of teaching and, and prophecy as well. It wasn't like, you know, for those of you who play fantasy football, you're not drafting like, you know, the last person who's, you know, the worst guy who's been riding the, the, the bench all year. These were two of their best starting teachers and prophets, to use the, the football analogy, right? And so that was, you know, difficult for the church too. But, you know, one of the things that, you know, God uses this, this plan and this mode of operations by calling the best and, and sending the strongest sometimes but sometimes it's, it's using the, the, the weaker and the, you know, the not so strong to go and take that step as well. But that's not what we see here. But we know that they would send out their, their strongest leaders. Um, but this would also allow others to step up, right, and become the next leaders and become the next uh, teachers or prophets. And, and as God called them, that's, that's what they were developed into. And so that's also why we see the, the biblical structure of a plurality of elders, right, because as God calls us, as God leads us, he's going to call us to do other things, to start other churches. We've talked about here, this here at the way of planning other churches. We're involved in La Camina de Gracia. We're involved in Impact Church. We're in Pillar down in Norfolk. We have all these different churches that we support and we give to, but we should also be planning churches like Antioch. Antioch had not been in existence for maybe over a year, maybe a year and a half, and they already are starting to plant churches and starting on this missionary journey. So again, you know, having a group of, of people who are led to by, or called by Christ or, or God to have that eldership role, that, that leadership role, and having that plurality of elders makes it easier for churches to do that. So again, they were not sending just, you know, mom and, you know, or people who were just new to the faith. They were sending people who had been spiritual leaders and teachers uh, to, to head, head out and to be set apart for the purpose of spreading the gospel and evangelism. And then we see in verse 3, we see the commissioning for Christ. And again, this was a great model for how we view uh, commissioning people, sending them out into the mission field, how we, you know, for church plants, for different things. Uh, here we, again, we see fasting. So here they were seeking God's protection and guidance for spreading of the gospel. So they had already been called. They were fasting to hear from God. The Holy Spirit said to go ahead and set them apart. So now they're praying and fasting again for God's protection and guidance and spreading of the gospel. And so again, you know, they want to make sure that they're focusing on God before they, they go out. They're praying, which is the second thing listed here, for his will to be done. Above all, not our, not our glory, not our honor, not for our recognition, but for God's alone. And so they're praying for his will to be done, praying for softened hearts, praying for God to draw people for opening up doors, like I was talking about uh, earlier with that trip to, to Asia, 
praying that God would draw people to himself, that he would open and, and close doors. And so again, that's that fasting, that's that praying, that's that concentration on Christ uh, that we see here. And then finally, we see the, the laying of hands, which you know, symbolically, you see that in a, lot, in, in a lot of churches, which is great because we'll come before you know, the, the church in like a mission trip, you know, we lay hands on people, and that's because, you know, we're affirming and supporting them publicly, but we're also praying over them for support and for protection and for God's will to be done. And I think that's very important because people kind of gloss over this one as well. You know, when you step out in obedience to God, whether it's serving as a new deacon or a missionary or you're going into the mission field, that target on your back that you already have as a Christian becomes a lot bigger. The evil one does not want us to go. He does not want us to send. He does not want us to give. He wants us to stay in these pews and keep our mouth shut. He wants to divide our marriages. He wants to keep our kids distracted. He he doesn't want us to go and tell the nations. So so he's going to do that. And laying on of hands and praying for people, that's why we always ask for prayer support even after we're in the field because the evil one is alive and he's roaring like a lion seeking to devour the weak and the lost. And so that laying on of hands was a way of of praying for God's protection and asking for God's protection. And that's why we do it for, you know, commissioning mission trips for laying on hands of deacons or, or elders. And it's so important to continue that, even if it's not one of those different situations, but praying for our, our leaders in this church, Josh, praying for Ray, praying for uh, Brandon and all the other pastors of the church that we support and others that we are involved with. But here they symbolically, they use the laying on of hands to, to bless and uh, ask for protection for, for Barnabas and Saul as they went out because you know that the Romans were still harassing everybody during this time. And so they were praying uh, and laying on of hands for God to protect them, to support them, uh, and that they would go and, and um, be very fruitful on that trip. So, th- so you think about this you know, from, from you know, a number of different things, you know, the diversity that we saw in that group of men, you know, the, the, the call of the Holy Spirit, you know, putting yourself in, in dangerous positions or dangerous environments and dangerous locations sometimes because mission trips are not easy. They would later know that because they, you know, Saul would be persecuted. He'd be whipped. You know, he'd be beaten a number of times. He'd be chased out of town. You know, mission trips are not always, you know, uh, the most, you know, nice trips to be on. But but even so, he still uh, sacrificed and, and so, did, so did Barnabas as well. And I think people would say, and, and I hear this from non-believers and some Christians alike. Well, why do you even go on the mission trip? Let somebody else do that. You know, they'll, they'll hear about God eventually. And my response to them is, is you know, it, as it would should be for everybody here, is because my God will supply all your needs. The reason that we go, we put ourselves in danger sometimes, is because Jesus gave his life to die for you. Because your sin separates you from Christ and from God and that eternal relationship that he desires to have with you, but your sin separates you from that. Jesus lived the perfect life that we could not live. He is the reason, and him alone, that we go on mission trips, that we send people, that we give, and that we go. It's not our recognition. I think sometimes that gets you know, misconstrued on mission trips as well. Like we're paid to go on this mission trip. 
And I've had to explain it several times, like, no, we, we take off our time. Sometimes we don't get paid. We put ourselves in harm's way. But it's all for the glory of Christ. It's all to seek the, the unsaved and the lost and to share the, the gospel of Christ. And so if you haven't given your life to Christ, you know, you have that same understanding of the gospel that I just mentioned or that we talked about in Puerto Rico uh, and several times. I know that, you know, like I said, some Christians would say that, you know, others can do this. Others can go for you in your place. But God calls us in a lot of different ways. So how he's calling you might look different than how he's calling me, and that's perfectly fine. You should be obedient to how he calls you. But if you've never given your life to Christ and you, understand, and you don't understand why we do the things that we do or what Christ's death on the cross means, then we'd certainly invite you to come pray with us and talk to us and have that conversation because he does desire to have that personal relationship with you. He does desire that anybody, and he will forgive and give salvation to anyone that calls upon his name who proclaims Jesus as Lord and Savior to remove that sin debt that you cannot remove yourself. There's nothing that you can say, or I'm sorry, there's nothing that you can do that will remove that sin debt accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So again, as I invite the, the band back up, um, we'll be, have a prayer team off to the side. Uh, if you would like to pray about that decision, if you never made it before, uh, we'll have a prayer team to pray with you or talk more with, with you on the side. But again, and if you have given your life to Christ, prayfully consider what that might look like uh, in the mission field or the mission field locally or you know, giving more or what that is. Just being that obedient, humble, and empty servant for God. So let's... Continue to worship in prayer as I lead us. And then, uh, again, respond as you feel led, praying with us on the side or just praying you know, in your seat. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for uh, your son. Lord, we thank you for that free gift of grace. Father, I pray that you would continue to stir our hearts, Father. For those of us who have already given your, our lives to you, Father, I pray that you would continue to mold us and use us uh, for the spreading of the gospel kingdom, Lord, that you would uh, just stir our hearts, Lord, Father, what you would have us to do. Father, and for the, the lost here among us, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, Lord, that they would understand their need for a Savior, Father, that they can't work their way into heaven, Father. It's by proclaiming you as Lord and Savior uh, that that sin is taken away. Father, we thank you for that free gift of grace through Jesus, Lord, and we ask um, and praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.